was in sixth grade when Halley's Comet appeared in the night skies over my hometown. That was back in 1986. I wonder if you remember it. Uh, it was a big thing. Uh, if you haven't heard of it before, Halley's Comet is this a beautiful comet with a big tail. It's visible from the Earth every 75 years or so. Uh, it's special because you can see it with a naked eye. Uh, you don't need a telescope uh, when it's close to Earth and it's visible for a number of months. So there are lots of chances to try and see the comet. Uh, I remember standing outside in the nighttime in my pajamas looking up to the sky in wonder. Halley's Comet is also special because it only appears once every 75 years or so. There are historical records of Halley's Comet going back as far as 466 BC from the Greek historian Pliny the Elder, also from Chinese records in the same year. And then the Babylonians recorded Halley's appearance in 164 BC and 87 BC. And if you're good at maths, that also means that the comet appeared approximately 10 to 12 BC, leading some people to speculate on whether the star that the wise men followed was in fact Halley's Comet. Uh, I'll leave that up to you to decide on that one. But for a 10-year-old in 1986, Halley's Comet was big news. We learned about it in class, we did projects on it, we made artworks about it, we wrote stories about it. And when the, when the comet finally disappeared from the sky, my 10-year-old classmates and I, uh, well, we wondered if we would ever see it again. Uh, and if my maths is correct, I should see Halley's Comet again if I live to the age of 85. Now the appearance of Halley's Comet is a significant event in history. But our Bible passage today points to an, even, uh, an event of even greater significance to world history. The appearance of Jesus in the past and the return of Jesus sometime in the future. I will live between those two appearances of Jesus and that ought to shape how we live our lives. Uh, to find out how, stick around as we open the Bible in just a moment. Well, good morning. My name is Dan Budwell, Senior Pastor at Yonville Community Church. Uh, it is great to be back with you this morning as we set aside time to worship our loving God, uh, to hear from His Word, and to come to Him in prayer. Because uh, this is not just a YouTube channel, this is our church. Uh, this is your church. Uh, and if you're listening or watching right now, uh, we are at church together, across the Napa Valley and beyond, uh, by faith and by the power of the Holy Spirit, as He unites us in Christ to bring us into the presence of our loving Heavenly Father. Uh, so we would love to know that you've been at church this morning. I would love you to uh, fill out a Connect card online. In fact, we'd love everyone to do that. I can do that at our website, uh, www.yonthvillechurch.org. Uh, let us know what God is teaching you, how you're growing, how we can pray for you. Uh, it's our joy to pray on your behalf. So please reach out and share the journey with us. Speaking of journeys, uh, our church has been on a journey for the last couple of years of rebuilding. Uh, we are rebuilding our historical chapel in Yontville. Uh, we are rebuilding our theatre and our kids' church spaces and our outdoor areas. But the reconstruction is not just physical. Uh, we're praying under God that He would rebuild us as a church family in the coming months and years as we welcome old members and new members alike to be part of what God is doing in the Napa Valley. So um, please pray for us. Uh, please pray with us 
And if you're nearby, consider joining us as we reopen in person very soon. For those of you who are financial supporters of our mission, uh, thank you for making it possible for us to continue sharing the hope of Jesus in the Napa Valley and beyond. Uh, we can't do without you. And I thank God for the generosity that he is growing amongst us. Uh, if you'd like more details about how to contribute, uh, you can go to the Give tab on our website again, www.yonvillechurch.org. You can sign up to our newsletters there and stay on top of all the church news. But for now, why don't we turn our hearts to prayer as we get ready to open the Bible. Our Father, we thank you for your word, uh, for the way that you speak to us through the pages of the Bible. We ask you to speak to our hearts today to teach us the amazing truths of the gospel, to soften us and shape us and mold us to be like Jesus. Father, would you use these precious moments to draw us near to you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just to remind you where we are up to in the Bible, we are right in the middle of our series from the book of Titus. Uh, Titus is actually a letter from the Apostle Paul written to his young protege Titus, whom he'd left in charge of the churches in Crete. And in the letter, Paul lays out his blueprints for a healthy church. And so we've seen Paul's core values for a church, his blueprint for church leadership, his blueprint for the way that the generations should relate to one another, his blueprint for how Christians ought to act in society and at work. It's all about godliness, because our godliness commends the gospel to a world that is without God. But here's the thing. What if you listen to that list of instructions, and it sounds like Christianity is just about doing good things. It's just about following the rules. Well, if that were true, then wouldn't it be enough just to be a good person? Why would we need Jesus? Couldn't we just get on with doing good things and forget about religion altogether? I think that's the misunderstanding that lots of people have when they talk about Christianity. They think I'm a good person, isn't that enough? Well, there are two words in our passage today that remind us why Christianity is more than just being a good person. And the first word is glory. I want you to listen for it as I read Titus 2, 11 to 14. That's our passage for today. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Titus 2.13 says that our blessed hope is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. A God's glory in the Old Testament is a way of describing God's presence when he was with his people. A God's people already understood the concept from the time of the Exodus when God had led them out of Egypt in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But the link between the cloud and God's glory... Well, it's made explicit when God summons Moses to go up on Mount Sinai to meet with him. This is from Exodus. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. 
For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Exodus 24, 15-17 There is something both comforting and terrifying about the glory of the Lord. God was visibly present to his people in a wonderful way. And yet his holiness, his perfection, his absolute goodness make him so different from us, so very different from us, like a, like a consuming fire. God had instructed the people that they mustn't approach the mountain and touch it or they would die. Exodus 19, 12. A few chapters later, when God agreed to show Moses his glory, God said that no one may see his face and live, Exodus 34, 20. And then the prophet Isaiah, well, he had a similar experience of God when he has a vision of being brought into the throne room of God in Isaiah 6. And Isaiah is struck with terror because he knows that he's a man of unclean lips. That is, he's sinful. And he knows that as a sinful man, he has no right to stand before the holiness of the Almighty. His sin is too much, even though he's a prophet and a religious man. When Isaiah experiences the glory of the presence of the Lord, he is terrified. And that idea of the terrifying holiness of the Lord, it persists in the Old Testament. God's people are not permitted to enter his presence casually. If they did, they would die like the man who reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant when the oxen stumbled in 2 Samuel 6. See, the Lord Almighty is not to be taken lightly. And the fact that God's presence remained behind the curtain of the temple teaches us that as sinful people, we need to treat God with appropriate reverence and fear. We can't just walk into his presence. So come back to Titus 2 with me. Paul says that our blessed hope is the appearing of the glory of the Lord. How is our greatest hope? the appearing of the one who ought to strike terror in us? Well, the answer is in the second word that we need to recognize from Titus 2, and that is grace. Verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Titus 2, 11. You see, as much as God is glorious, as much as he is holy, as much as he is the judge of heaven and earth, how God is also gracious and merciful. Rather than treating us as our sins deserve, he offers salvation instead. And just like Halley's comet appearing in the night sky, God's salvation appeared in a way that everyone could see and understand when God's own son, Jesus, came to earth to die for us. And that's why we need to notice that little detail about God's glory in Titus 2.13. Did you notice it? The blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13 God's glory is most fully revealed, not in a pillar of cloud, and not in a consuming fire, not in lightning stri uh, striking out to kill us when we do something wrong. God's glory is most fully revealed in the appearance of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 teaches us, that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus comes to reveal God to us. He reveals God's character. He reveals God's nature, God's plan for salvation, God's great love and mercy. Not judgment, 
but the offer of forgiveness if we turn our hearts back to God. One of the hardest things to talk about as a preacher is sin. That's not a popular word in a culture that defines its own morality. Uh, in a culture where we decide in community which behaviours are acceptable and which ones aren't. It's difficult to talk about sin because people don't want to acknowledge the existence of God and his claim over our lives. It's hard to talk about sin because we worry that God will spoil our fun. But sin explains the profound brokenness that we see in our world. It explains the profound brokenness that we find in ourselves. It explains why we hurt one another, why we hurt the ones we love, why we find ourselves saying and, and doing things that aren't good for us. And we all want to say that we're trying to do good and to be good, but are we really? You see, imagine the appearance of the glory of God. Imagine you found yourself standing before that glorious presence of the Lord. You find yourself standing before the God of the universe. Would you really be able to say that you have lived a good life? Would you have that confidence? I certainly wouldn't. And if we had to stand before God on our merit, then God have mercy. Well, the good news of our passage and the good news of Christianity is that God does have mercy. Jesus appeared to bring God's grace and to offer salvation to all people. Jesus offers to deal with our sin. And this is how. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Titus 2, 13 to 14. First, Jesus redeems us. This is a word that comes from slavery. Slavery was a common practice in ancient Near East cultures. As slave traders would buy and sell men and women and children as property. And sadly, that's a practice that continues today in many different ways. Um, praise God, there are agencies around the world seeking to free victims of human trafficking. And that's something we should all get behind. But the original agency for freeing God uh, freeing people from slavery was God. In Titus 2.14, Paul teaches us that God has released us from our slavery to sin by purchasing our freedom. God pays the ransom to redeem us from our wickedness, uh, to redeem us from the mistakes we've made, to redeem us from the wrong we've done. He, he redeems us even from the hurts we've deliberately inflicted on others. And rather than making us stand in the dock to receive the sentence that we deserve, Jesus instead stands there in our place. He pays the price so that we can go free. The price is his body given for ours, his death instead of our own, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God, as it says in 1 Peter 3.18. I just want to pause on that idea for a moment because if we don't understand the peril that we were in because of our sin, that we can never understand the grace of God to redeem us from it. There's a beautiful line in that old hymn, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton, himself a former slave trader, which says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. As humans, we have an incredible propensity for self-deception. And we are blind to the way that we really are. God opened John Newton's eyes to see what a wretch he was. 
and not just for his participation in the slave trade, but for all the wrong that he'd done in life. And as you hear God's word today, I pray that God will open your eyes afresh to the reality of your sinfulness, but also to the reality of God's overwhelming grace towards you. Because this passage isn't meant to leave us with guilt. It's actually meant to focus us on our blessed hope and the eager expectation of the return of Christ. And we don't fear the coming judgment because Jesus has removed our guilt. He's purified us, as it says in Titus 2.14. He has washed us clean from our shame. He has washed us clean from our impurity. We don't need to hold on to the baggage of our bad choices. We don't need to keep beating ourselves up for what we've done. We don't, we don't need to wear our sin as something that identifies us any longer. Yes, we may still have to deal with the mess we've caused. But Jesus sets us free from the guilt and shame that can weigh us down like an anchor. And instead, he gives us a fresh start and a fresh identity. We are counted as members of his very own people. Elsewhere, the Bible talks about us being adopted into Christ's family, are being chosen and elected and predestined and sanctified and set on this path to glory as we're raised with Christ in the heavenlies. You see, we were once headed down the path of destruction and instead in Jesus Christ, God has given us a completely different future. I grew up with a lot of South African neighbors in the 1990s and many had emigrated from South Africa because of apartheid and the mess that the government had made of the country. I remember our neighbour speaking about the atrocities that he witnessed and that he was forced to commit during his own national service. I thank God apartheid finally ended in the 1990s. And under Nelson Mandela's leadership, the country sought a way forward towards reconciliation. Part of the process was bringing victims of apartheid-sponsored violence into contact with the perpetrators. Uh, the commission was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And a case came to the commission of a woman whose 18-year-old son had been arrested by a particular police officer, a, a Mr. Vanderbrook. The woman's son uh, was subsequently shot after his arrest and his body was burned to ashes while a group of officers stood around drinking. And then eight years later, the same police officer had arrested her husband and held him for 24 hours. And then in the dead of night, the officers had burst in and dragged the old woman out of bed. They brought her to a river's edge where her husband lay tied to a pile of wood, still alive. As she watched, the, the officers doused the man with petrol, with gas, and ignited a fire. And the last words that her husband spoke to her in the midst of the blazing fire were, forgive them. Years later, this old woman, now blind, finds herself in the courtroom across from the officer who stole her family from her. Uh, the officer confesses to everything that he had done. And the chairperson of the commission turned to the woman. He said, before the commission determines an appropriate punishment for these crimes, you have an opportunity to make a final statement regarding sentencing. Is there anything you'd like to say? I wonder what you would have said. Well, the woman said calmly, I want three things. Firstly, I want... Mr. Vanderbrook, to take me to the place where they burned my husband's body. I'd like to gather up the dust and give him a decent burial. Second, Mr. Vanderbrook took all my family away from me and I still have a lot of, a lot of love to give. 
Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. And third, I'd like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that he's forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. And I'd like somebody to come and lead me by the hand to where Mr. Vanderbrook is so that I can embrace him and he can know that my forgiveness is real. As the elderly woman made her way across the silent courtroom, Vanderbrook reportedly fainted, overcome by emotion. And then the silence was broken when somebody began singing Amazing Grace. Do you know, each of us has sat in the same place as that police officer, or we will one day. And on that day, the glory of the Lord will be terrifying to those who stand accused. But for those of us who have come to Jesus, we look forward to hearing those precious words. You are forgiven. And to feeling the embrace of Jesus so that we know that his forgiveness is real. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, your grace has appeared. Your mercy, your love, your forgiveness, the message of reconciliation through Christ. Father, help us to hang on to that appearance of your grace in the past and help us to trust that on the day that your glory returns, when Jesus appears as judge of universe, Father, we pray that on that day, our hope would be found in him alone. Father, help us to live for Jesus, to turn our lives towards Jesus, to give you glory and honor all the things that we do. Father, help us to turn from sin and to turn back to you and to know life and wholeness. We pray this for our church. We pray this for our families. We pray this for ourselves as individuals. And we pray, Father, that we could share this message of grace and glory in the Napa Valley and beyond. To the praise of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.